Welcome to the Real Life Arizona podcast, the latest sermons from the Sunday worship gatherings of Real Life Ministries Arizona, delivered weekly right here. Let's get to this week's message. If you're new here, well, first of all, if you're new here, welcome. It's been great to meet you. I was just reminded about one of the things that I love about this community is, you know, we, we started with this name, Real Life. And uh, because that's that's the target that we're aiming for um, is is real authenticity from real people uh, who are just like you and me. Um, and so, a lot of times, you may walk into a church and feel like that the people who are up front doing the ministering are some kind of a different person than you are. That, that they're at some kind of level <laughs> or, uh, or, or place on some kind of a tier of spirituality or having arrived or some kind of thing like that. Um, and I, I hope you never get that sense here. Um, because this is not a place where the professionals show up to do the work of professionals and the rest of us are all just spectators here to listen um, but but this is a place where real people uh, minister out of their real lives and and come and do things like leading us in guided prayer and leading us in worship and you know I've known Mario for I always have to think back to how old Elizabeth was when Mario was coming over and she was trying to decide what nightgown she was going to put on. She was two, um, but she loved Mawio. And she picked this one that Mawio had never seen before. So, so I know that I've known Mario for at least uh, 22 years. But if we're perfectly honest, and I'm perfectly honest, when I first met Mario... I didn't think that Mario would ever be up front in a church gathering leading people in guided prayer. And I can only say that because Mario would say it before I would. Um, but God's done a tremendous thing in Mario uh, and is growing him and changing him and he's becoming someone that he never was before. And, and that's what this place is all about. That's what this church that God is forming is all about, is everyday people being brave enough to give some of themselves themselves to God and see what he's going to do with it. Um, because when you do that, <laughs> you find that he's trustworthy, and then you're willing to give him some more, and some more, and some more. And soon you're at a place where you're holding nothing back and that's when God really gets to work in your life um, and so that's the place that you have come to today if you are here um, some people call me a pastor some people call me their pastor um, I'm, I'm not a fan of titles um, I'm willing to be called pastor somewhat reluctantly because I think it puts me in a category that I don't want to be in um, so whenever you think of me, I just want you to think of me as someone who simply said yes. 
and, and I do my best to continue to say yes uh, when God asks. And, and that's all there is. <laughs> that's all there is to all of that um, is simply recognizing that I need more of him, being willing to hand more of myself to him and trusting what he's going to do with that. So that's a little bit um, about us. Um, today I want to start with a little exercise. So I hope most of you are wearing loose-fitting clothing. <laughs> it's not that kind of exercise. Um, it's a mental exercise. So uh, I want to start with, some of you are breathing a sigh of relief because it's not physical exercise. <laughs> I just heard that. Um, it's going to start with you picturing and thinking about the most beautiful place you've ever been. What's the most beautiful place that you've ever been? Somewhere that you might have thought while you were there, I wish I never had to leave this place. I wish I never had to leave this place. And so I want you, if, you, if you're comfortable closing your eyes, if you want to close your eyes, um, close your eyes, try to picture that place and you in it. And so there you are in your place. And you have everything that you would ever need. And everything is perfect. My, my place is near Victoria, British Columbia, with towering oak trees and leaves the size of me. But in this place, there's no winter. There's just perfect and perfection. And there you are in that place with everything that you need. Perfect weather, perfect peace, fulfilling your purpose in life. And on top of that, God is clearly present and available to you. As a matter of fact, he walks with you in the morning and the evening. There's just one catch in this place that you are picturing yourself. There are no other people. And so there you are, in perfection, amongst perfection. But you are alone. That really, t now, now some of you have young kids, and so the picture of you being all alone <laughs> is just another piece of perfection. <laughs> but I want, you, I want to invite you to walk down that road a little bit farther and realize what it would like, what it would be like to be there, but with no one else. Relaxing, yes. Relaxing for a time. This, this was the situation with Adam in the Garden of Eden when God first created him. And, and I've always been baffled by the fact that there Adam was in the midst of brand new, fresh out of the box creation. 
Brand new, sparkling, crystal clear, crystal clean perfection. The animals, lions, tigers, bears. In my case, there would need to be at least one Belgian Malinois <laughs> in the mix as my companion. Um, but it, it, it's striking to me that, that God looks down on all of his creation and he sees that situation in Adam's condition. And that's the one thing he says, this is not good. It's not good that the man is alone. And so he created a helper for him, a companion for him. Uh, and that's because when God created us, he created us in his image. And he created us to be in relationship with people. In, in all kinds of relationships. A lot of times when we think about Adam and then Eve being created, we, we think only about marriage. But that's not the full picture in that passage. Is, is that It's that humanity, you and I were created to be in relationship with others, to be in community. Because the, the, when God says it's not good, that he's alone, what, what he's saying is, that Adam could survive but never thrive. That, that in that condition, even with God's perfect presence, that blows my mind, even with God's perfect presence and the perfect You're setting, Siri, we don't need you. Even, even in that perfect setting and perfect presence, it was still not good because God knew that he could never thrive. He could only survive. Adam could only survive in that setting. We need people. We need each other. We need real, deep, meaningful relationship. But here's the thing. They're hard sometimes. They just don't. We, we need them. But they're hard sometimes. And, and you've probably experienced that. If you've ever dared to leave your room. If you've ever dared to leave your room, you have experienced the tensions and conflict and problems that come with being in the relationships that we were created for. It's because, because of our sin nature, because of the, the nature of our world and the fallenness of our world as the Bible describes it, relationship is hard because we get tired and because we get hungry. Because we're selfish, because we're weak, uh, because sometimes we speak. <laughs> I mean, some relationships might be easier if we just didn't speak, right? Um, and as marriage has helped me learn, uh, sometimes we're wrong. It took a few years of marriage for me to figure that out. <laughs> but I learned it eventually. Um, you will experience relational issues. School, work, family, roommates, total strangers. In the mall, in the parking lot, on the road. Uh, it's the reality of our world. And I wish I could tell you that being at church or being in relationship with other Christians was your free ticket to never have relational issues again. 
But I cannot tell you that because it's not true. Because the church is full of people. And as I mentioned before, those people get tired, hungry, lonely, angry, and they speak. The reality is not only can you get hurt in church and in relationship with Christians, but sometimes it's our deepest hurt. It really is. The reason that this place exists today has come out of our deepest hurt. And out of that deepest hurt came a desire to create a place that is real. Uh, to create uh, the, the name, the picture that the Lord gave us back then was to create a sanctuary. Because God is a sanctuary. And his church should be a sanctuary. It should be a place of refuge. It should be a place of peace. It should be a place of safety. But, but even with that desire and that vision, the reality is that there will still be conflict. <laughs> we will still bump into each other. We will still offend one another. Um, we, as, as part of our, you know, we, we came up with this real life together tagline, motto, whatever it, it speaks to who we want to be and as Mario mentioned our, our heart is that everyone would be in community that everyone would be in a small group environment to go deeper with other people but we're so cognizant of the fact that conflict and issues arise that, that in our small group guidelines that we go through nearly every week in those small groups the last one is that we will resolve conflict biblically. Why? Because it will happen. It will. I'll tell you, I was in denial when we started this. I was. I thought, this is silly. Like, we have great people here. This will never happen. It didn't take very long to realize that we needed small group guideline number 12. That we needed to be people who were willing to uh, go after issues and conflict and seek resolution. Uh, and so this week, um, the last time I spoke, uh, I spoke on a passage out of the Sermon on the Mount on judgment um, and how Jesus was calling us to be slow to judge others. As a matter of fact, we should, we should approach even the idea of judging another person and their life with significant trepidation. Um, and, and that's what we, that's what we ended on last time. Um, and so what I want to talk about today is one of our core values um, here at Real Life Arizona, this place that we call Real Life Arizona. And, and that core value is fighting for relationship. Um, and I've just felt pressed to talk about that recently um, because it's important and because I feel like I personally haven't done enough to equip uh, the people who are here um, and the people who are on Zoom, um, of what it means to fight for relationship and how we can go about fighting for relationship. Now, in this context, the four, fighting for relationship, means two different things. In the first case, it means, first, that we have to fight to be in relationship. We have to fight to be in relationship in the first place. Like, in our culture, in our world of busy schedules and all the things that I'm pursuing for me, 
I really have to be intentional. I have to fight to be in relationship with other people. It's easier to not be than it is to be in relationship. And so I have to fight, first of all, to be in relationship. And then second of all, the second part of fighting for relationship is fighting to maintain the relationship that already exists. And that second one, fighting to maintain the relationship, uh, is the one that I'm going to focus on today. Um, what can we do to maintain the relationships and the health of the relationships that we have with other people? Now, I'm just going to tell you, I have friends and I have family members that have what I call the dead-to-me gene, right? It's just in their nature. You make me mad, you offend me, you do whatever, that's fine. You're dead to me. End of story. <laughs> um, I don't want to be that. We don't want to be that. Because dead to me doesn't reflect the grace and mercy of God that's been extended to us. And we're called to be a reflection of that grace and mercy that's been extended. And so today I just want to talk about um, five things that I have found, uh, tools that I keep in my toolbox for fighting for relationship. When, when someone bumps up against me, when someone offends me, when someone says something a little off to me, to you, how do I respond? How can you respond? And so these are just five things that I've picked up along the way. And I just want to offer them to you today. Uh, because as I, as I look back, these are the things that have served me well and continue to serve me well today. Um, the first is this. Believe the best. This is where we start. We start with believing the best. Uh, this is my application of 1 Corinthians 13, 7. So many of you are probably familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love passage, right? Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it isn't rude. Um, it goes on and on to talk about what love is. And in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 13, uh, Paul writes, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, now what I do um, is I substitute the words the best in the middle two pieces there. Love believes the best, and love hopes the best. That when someone bumps up against me, my, my initial response, I want my initial response to be to believe the best and hope the best about that person, about that interaction, about that incident. Um, Paul says, believe all things, hope all things, endures all things. Um, that's a figure of speech. Um, he doesn't literally mean believe all things. Paul's not calling us to believe lies. 
he says endure all things. He's not calling us to endure abuse. When, when Paul says believe all things and hope all things, he's saying believe a great deal. Dare to hope a great deal. Uh, and, and because all of these things are in the context of a passage on love, Paul's talking about relationships. He's talking about our relationship. He's talking about your relationships. Right? He's saying this is what love does. Some of you just thought of Bob Goff. Uh, this is what love does. It believes the best about the other person, and it hopes the best about the other person. That is what love does. And we need to do this because we suffer from all kinds of biases in our world. They're, they're very well established in the world of psychology. Um, I've always been fascinated by psychology. That's why I pursued a degree in psychology. Uh, and, and one of the studies, one of the um, functions that's very well established in psychology is called the actor-observer bias. This is just one reason why we need to start with believing the best about other people. Is because here's what you do and here's what I do. Right? When I look at my own faults, my own errors, my own ways that I bump up and push other people, I blame those on external circumstances and conditions. Well, I was hungry. I was tired. I was, <laughs> like that wasn't me, I was just, it was just the circumstances that caused me to do that. But when someone else does that same thing, I don't attribute to external things for them. I attribute it to internal things for them. Oh, it's their character. That's just the way he is. That's what he does. Right? We're biased. And believing the best helps us fight our own internal biases to give ourselves a pass and hold others accountable. And so believing the best is the first step uh, in fighting for and maintaining the relationships. The 12 disciples would have never made it to the finish line with Jesus if he hadn't been a person who believed the best about those he was with. I mean, he had every reason to give up on every single one of them. And, and even when Peter pledged to stay faithful, but ended up denying him and abandoning him in his moment of deepest need, Jesus believed the best about Peter. Jesus believed in the real Peter and understood the struggle, understood the fear, understood the pressure, and believed the best about him. So the first one, believe the best. Uh, the second one is stay curious. Stay curious. I think I picked this up in Houston, uh, going through some training and uh, spending some time with friends, mentors out there. You know, my experience has been that much of conflict inside and outside the church 
is due to a lack of communication or miscommunication or misunderstanding. And so when we don't talk, we are just left to guess and to try to figure out. But on my part, I need to stay curious. I need to stay curious about why things are happening. I need to stay curious about what that was that I might have experienced or noticed or whatever. So rather than coming to a conclusion about this other person and what they intended and why they did what they did, instead I stay curious and I ask questions. I fight the urge to come to a conclusion about their motives, about the purpose or intention, and instead I ask, I ask questions. I don't decide what they must have meant. I ask them what they meant. Hey, when you said this, what, what did you mean by that? Like, I was, I was kind of unclear on how I should receive that or take that. But I'm coming at it from an optimistic standpoint because I'm staying curious instead of rushing to judgment. You know, I found this fascinating this week. I mentioned I'm interested in psychology. But a guy named Albert Moravian did a study on face-to-face communication. Right? Face-to-face communication. Not text messaging. Right? Not just over the phone. But face-to-face communication. And, and here's what he found in his analysis of face-to-face communication. That 55% of the communication that took place while David and I were seated at, seated at lunch having a conversation, 55% of what David took from listening to me, 55% was nonverbal physical cues. My facial expression, how I was leaning, uh, all kinds of things. My arm movements, not that anybody speaks with their hands or anything. Um, but 55% was him observing my body. 38% was what I'm doing right now is changing the vocalization of the words. My pitch, my tone, my volume, my speed, right? 55% is my body, my face, my eyes. 38% my intonation, vocalization. You know how much that leaves for the words? 7%. Pretty close. 7% of what David heard from me in our conversation was the words. That blew the lid off of my brain. 7%? 7%? Like 7%? I should never ever again utter the phrase, but all I said was... <laughs> oh no, Troy, that was 7%. How'd you say it? What was your posture? What were your eyes doing? This works both ways, right? First of all, Man, it just makes me go, I need to be aware of how much I'm communicating with not just the words, but how I'm 
communicating them. Like the words are 7%. And second, boy, I need to stay curious. Because 93% of what I'm taking away from that conversation is my interpretation of someone else's body language, facial expressions, intonation. Like, I better know them pretty well before I decide exactly what they meant. Like, if, if nothing else tells you that you should stay curious before rushing to judgment, those numbers should cause you to go, wow. Well, I need to slow down and stay curious. So, I believe the best. I stay curious. And then the third one, I'm just going to tell you, uh, I hate the third one. Have the conversation. I hate the third one. Like, this is not how I grew up, having the conversation. Like, in my house, if all the things that were swept under the rug were literally under the rug, our family room and entire house would have like, looked like the ski moguls on a black diamond hill in Breckenridge, Colorado. We, we did not have a conversation Ever. You just went away mad? The end. Hope you get over it. We'll talk when you do. Wasn't that long ago that my brother and I probably went two years without talking. Now we live in different cities. So when I say not too long ago, I don't mean six months ago. I mean in the last decade of my age. Um, and that's just the way our family operated. He made me mad. I said something that made him mad. I don't really need you. You don't really need me. So I guess when one of us needs each other, <laughs> we hear from each other. Or maybe when some big tragedy in the family happens, that'll be enough to break the silence. Right? But that's not what Jesus calls us to. As a matter of fact, it wasn't that long ago in Matthew chapter 5 or 6 that he talked about if, if you are aware that your brother has been offended by you, you need to stop what you're doing. Just stop what you're doing. And the illustration he used was even if you're at the temple making your once a year sacrifice, even if you've traveled three days on foot to get there and you're standing there at the altar, you've got the knife and you're ready to sacrifice the goat. And in that moment, you remember that your brother has something against you. I want you to take your goat. I want you to walk back home three days, be reconciled to your brother, and then turn around, walk three days back, and now bring your sacrifice. 
Have the conversation. Have the conversation. Matthew 18 is the flip side, right? It's not that I know my brother's mad at me. It's that I'm mad at my brother. He's offended me. Right? He's bumped into me. Whose responsibility is it then? Um, mine, still. <laughs> Why? Because I'm the follower of Jesus. And this is what he tells me to do. And so I go. And I have the conversation. Because sometimes staying curious isn't enough. Sometimes believing the best isn't enough. Sometimes there's still a problem. And for Jesus' followers, it's go and have the conversation. I told you. I hate number three. It is so hard. It is so unnatural to me. And for me. But Jesus is not calling me to do the natural thing. This, however many weeks, 14, 15, 16 weeks we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, not once is Jesus asking me to do the natural thing. In every single situation, he is calling me, he's calling you to do the supernatural thing. The thing that goes beyond my natural tendencies, my natural strength, my natural trust, my natural fears. And maybe do the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. We'll come to your question. Let me just say that again. Because Jesus is not calling us to do the natural things. He is not calling us to do the things that come naturally to us. He is doing the things that we will only do and can only do if we are willing to completely trust him and obey him. When Mario was asking us to think about one of our favorite verses, the one that came to mind for me is out of the Old Testament, and it's, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed the word of God is better than the fat of rams. God doesn't want our sacrifices. He doesn't want our money in the offering plate. He doesn't want me to you know, go and serve the poor. Instead, what he wants me to do is obey and heed his voice. And for me, that's having the conversation. Have the conversation. So, first I believe the best. I stay curious. I ask questions. Man, when I have to, have the conversation. And number four, be merciful. Be merciful. In, in the last uh, passage in Matthew chapter 7 that I spoke on, on judgment... Jesus is calling us there when he talks about, you might be familiar, the plank. He's like, why do you notice the speck in your brother's eye? But, but you're missing the fact that you have this giant plank in your own eye. And when he says plank, he means like up in the ceiling in the roof here, like the biggest beam that would be in this house holding up the roof. Like He's saying, that's what you've got in your own eye, but you want to focus on your brother's speck. Right? He's calling me to a greater awareness of my own failures, brokenness, weakness, etc., etc. Why? Because when I remind myself of how weak I am at times, of how often I don't live up even to my own expectations for myself, man, then I'm just more willing to be merciful 
whatever that person did is something I could have done myself and probably have. Love covers a multitude of sins, Peter tells us. So be merciful. And finally, uh, beware of the backpack. Beware of the backpack. Uh, I heard this one in Houston as well. Um, and just real quickly, uh, the backpack is this idea that we go through life in relationship with other people. And we have this backpack on. And when they offend us, we pick up that rock of offense and we throw it in our backpack. And now I'm walking around and that offense keeps slamming me in the back, bouncing on my back, irritating me, annoying me. They do it again, I take another rock of offense and I put it in my backpack and I'm carrying this bag around and it's bouncing on my back, <laughs> right? And now it doesn't take very much from you to make me really mad. And why is that? Because I got this backpack that I've been carrying around with all of your rocks of offense against me. And pretty soon I carry that backpack long enough, I'm just done. I'm just done. And so these things are designed to keep us from putting the rocks in the backpack. Or to be willing to open up the backpack on the table and go, here's the rocks. What are we going to do? with the rocks because I'm tired of carrying them around. Fighting for relationship. It's because we need other people. Yeah, you can survive. You can. You can get through life. You can survive. But you will literally never thrive without a community of people who are alongside you, encouraging you, calling you up, holding up your arms when you're fighting the battle and you need the help. We need community. We need other people. It comes with risks. And some of these things are hard. They really are. They go against our nature. They go against my fight or flight response. They go against all kinds of things in my upbringing and the relationships that I've had since then. But Jesus isn't calling us to do the natural thing. He's calling us to do the supernatural thing. And sometimes the supernatural thing is hard. And it's scary. It's uncomfortable. Sometimes it just plain sucks. But it's always the best thing to do. And when we think about the Sermon on the Mount, this, this is how we live as the salt of the earth and the life of the world that Jesus calls us to be. It's not the natural thing. It requires supernatural strength from God, supernatural obedience to what he calls us to. But it is the way. Thank you for joining us. Real Life Arizona is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. For more information about Real Life, please visit our website at reallifearizona.com or email us at info at May God richly bless you.